Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. My guest this week is Ian McGuinness. He's a historian and senior lecturer at the University of Highlands and Islands in Scotland. In this chapter, Bran is learning to find his lordly voice and navigate the treacherous waters of remarriage, of deciding which knight should marry which widow and which lands go to whom. So Ian is the perfect person to help me cover this chapter. And then in my bird's eye view section, I read an email from a listener that confirms, yes, indeed, confirms that you can indeed legally shoot a Scotsman with an arrow from the city wall of York. Sorry, Ian. All right, without further ado, here is Scottish historian Ian McInnes. How's my favorite Scotsman? Good, thank you. Yes, how are you? Doing very well. Uh, we're dealing again with Bran, who's he's he's having to manage all of the doings of these lords and ladies and disputes over, not really disputes over land holdings, but uh, everyone's kind of jockeying for position. Mm. When they start to smell, you know, an opportunity. <laughs> and, of course, Bran is, you know, just trying to keep up. And, and he's told to kind of keep his tongue. Uh, but he's learning to be a, a lord at court, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it was it was quite interesting to see this play out. Um, because, yeah, it, it's framed by uh, by the maester in terms of, you know, this is this this is this is what you're expected to do. This is your chance to learn. This is what your your brother would have done, you know, uh, yeah. appearing at, uh, when he's when your your father was making decisions. Uh, but, yeah, don't say anything. and <laughs> Let us do the work, um, which is, yeah, it's, it's listen and learn, but not not learn from doing. I noted in this chapter and I wonder maybe you could help me. There's. There's almost a, a primacy placed on eating together, mm. and I wonder if sort of dining, whining, and dining is sort of a a really important political affair in northern politics. I mean, I, I think that that element of of just basic hospitality, you know, that there is a a recognition of that. I suppose it ties into to notions of of gift giving and and the various associations with that, which are largely positive. Um, so you welcome somebody in and you you give them give them food um also you know if they are waited upon then you're you're recognizing their status uh, and the standing mm. and, and the fact that, that sharing element that you're sharing what you have with them again is uh, very much demonstrating uh, that kind of largesse which you would expect of a lord to his man and that's that's the relationship that is going on here even though it's bran the child he's he's representing uh, rob uh, and, and so so yes, it, it's, it is effectively the lord and his retainer 
uh, and the retainer is being welcomed into the household and given you know meat and drink and and being given that time and i think you know in, in medieval society laws and retainers that that relationship is, is a close one often and there are expectations of that relationship um so obviously the lord expects loyalty he expects support mm. usually military but what the lord expects in return is is protection but but he also expects to have a say um and he expects to be able to to speak to his lord to to be heard um to to ask things of his lord and indeed to to receive stuff in return so it it's it is a two-way relationship and so yeah the, these men are as as the maester points out uh, these men are coming with with things that they want um and it's then how do you how do you diplomatically deal with that which of course is at the end of the day will be rob's uh, decisions and, right. and rob's right. uh, issues to deal with uh, but but they're the ones that have to to listen to them and then pass them on so so rob can make that judgment yeah i think if you boil down this relationship between the suzerain and the vassal it really comes down to like you care for me, and I'll and I will join your army when you need it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, something. Of course, of course, this is a, a different period, and of course, there's more political complication to it. Hmm. But the symbolism of you can you've got a place at my table. Yeah, I think is is really important to just remind or I guess reinforce that relationship. Yeah, but I think it again. I think it was the other way too. I mean, and, and these laws are quite explicit about it because these aren't all, you know, the top tier laws. You've got you've got a steward there representing mm, the family. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got Lady Hornwood because her husband's dead, as is her son. You've got yeah. the Umber uncles because the rest of the family are away. These are almost like the second tier, but they are very explicit. So you know, our families are off fighting for mm. your brother. So we we've done our part of the bargain. Our, our families are off fighting in your war. Now this is what we want in return, you know. So it's yeah. I, I think there, there's no um, misconception that it, that it is a, a two way street. It's not all about you know the Lord yeah. gets that you know the, the the retainers expect to get as well. Yeah, I want to talk about a uh, Lady Hornwood, but let me first read my synopsis of this chapter. Winterfell is buzzing with lords and ladies and lads who all seek to advance their social standing and land holdings. Bran is asked to sit at the big stone seat and voice courtesies while Lewin and Roderick handle business. After exchanging barbs with the Walders, Bran hears of widows and ships and chivalric troops, but his heart is with the squires tilting at Quintain's. Hodor carries Bran to the godswood where Asha asks him about his wolf dreams, Later, he learns of Stannis's letter and hears the rumor that Joffrey is the son of the Kingslayer. That night, he dreams again of the Three-Eyed Crow and a golden man in the sky who pushes him into the air. Uh, Ian McGinnis, I, I'm really interested in talking about Lady Hornwood. Do you, do you mind if we just jump right into that? No, no, it's great. Her story is that she's newly widowed. Mm. And the reason why she's newly widowed is because her husband has died in service of of Rob. Mm. And that's at the Green Fork. And then at at the Whispering Woods, um, she loses her son. Mm. And so now she's without an heir. All right. This creates something of a power vacuum. I I don't know how else to put it. (laughs) 
I mean, I guess you could put it in a, you could say like the, the rest of these lords are, are like buzzards. And they're, 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 circling <laughs> they're, the <laughs> they're circling the corpse of the poor Hornwood boy. Um, yeah, it, it, a lot of the conversations that happen in this chapter are about what is to become of Lady Hornwood. Mm. And you've got several suggestions for suitors. Uh, she, you know, she has her own uh, say in the matter. You've got one guy who says, "Well, may, I could, I could just let her adopt my son." Yeah. Uh, you know, so everyone's kind of got designs. It seems to me not just on her, but on what she would add to the family. Yeah. D- does this have a a smell of authenticity to it? What would a someone in the position of Lady Hornwood, uh, you know, let's say she did lose her husband and son, you know, what what would her plight have been, let's say in in medieval Scotland? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it does it does ring true to to a large extent. I, I think she's in a she's in a particularly difficult situation um, because because yes, it's not it's not just the loss of her husband. If if she lost her husband, but her son was still alive, then then she might actually have greater power as a widow, but, but as the representative of the family line and, and making sure that yeah. things progress for her son. The loss of her son as well is is pretty much a, a kind of killer blow in that regard because then she she's the only representative. Uh, and so whoever mm. marries her will inherit those lands. Well, or potentially. And that's, I think, the point that, that Lewin makes. You know, there, there are other... There are other claims in the lands, and anyone who might be able to to marry her can can lay claim to the lands through that marriage. Um, but because succession has now been uh, knackered by by the death of, of the father and the son, it, it may also be that then extended members of the family uh, would have potential claims to rights over those territories as well. Mm. So it, it could mm-hmm. get very messy. And and what what Lewin and and Sir Roderick are are, are discussing is essentially what would be the best way to resolve this without managing to you know anger everybody else and I, I don't think there is an easy solution to it but I think that's the kind of decision making that would be going on and you know kings will take advantage of those types of situations to marry women off um, so in the in the you know mid to later 14th century you've got the case of someone like the Countess of Ross who succeeds to that earldom and David II uh, looks to marry her off to one of his favourites. He's making sure that one of his friends, one of his allies, is in this important position and in this important earldom. But that comes at the cost of antagonising the men of Ross themselves, who who don't want this new guy coming in, um, who they have no connection mm. to whatsoever. Um, and that causes problems. Similarly, there's there's an issue over the succession or the marriage, sorry, of the Countess of Fife uh, when her father dies, and and who's going to Who's going to have possession of her? Who's going to be able to marry her? Because Fife is the, the preeminent Scottish elder, and there's an almighty wrangle mm. even before the elder Fife is dead. There's an almighty wrangle over who's going to who's going to be able to marry her, or who's going to have possession of, of, of the heiress. So, I suppose it's not quite the same because the, the, those are mostly cases of daughters who are inheriting from the fathers. Lady Hornwood is different again, um, but as I said, I think I think she's in an even more difficult position because. I think I presume that the lands are her husband's. Um, so she's she's not even, you know, she doesn't have the rights to the lands herself. She herself, she's just, you know, the the last representative. And while marriage to her may well 
earn those lands for whoever marries her. Again, there could be a competing claim from elsewhere. Even marrying her off may not resolve it because other families may still lay claim to actually uh, succeeding mm. to them. So it's, yeah, that, that one's a bit of an almighty mess. I think. She has a say in her, I mean, Hornwood has a say in her own plight though, right? In this case, she has said, yeah, not interested in remarrying unless it's to you, Sir Roderick. <laughs> yeah. In no uncertain terms. Uh, she makes an advance on Roderick, who's not that interested in <laughs> the arrangement, right? Well, I, I, I think he's more keenly aware of his own relative status and all this and just thinks it's unlikely. Sure, sure. I think she's basically thinking like, yeah, I, I'm just not ready for this and I'll do it if you want me to. Yeah. If the king commands it, I'll do it. Yeah. And I think Lewin wants to honor that eventually because what he says is, I think that this kid, Baron Tallwood, mm. or Tallheart, is maybe our best option because it would allow her to, you know, adopt a son and raise him as her heir and not, and sort of also honor her wish not to remarry. Yeah, so she, she can remain a widow, uh, but, but she's acting to, to help raise the, the new heir and, and, then, mm-hmm. uh, and then he would succeed to the lands. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's neatest in terms of trying to please everybody. Uh, I suppose I, now, I'm just I'm just not so sure that she has as much agency there. Well, mm-hmm. in a medieval context, I'm not sure she would have as much agency there. Yeah, sure. Now, if it was Rob, like let's say, w- what would be a, the most politically advantageous for Rob? He might choose to say one of these guys, one of these um- Umber brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to need to strengthen my relationship with you because you guys are valuable in the war effort. So let's go ahead and effectively give the Umbers all of the Hornwood land by granting them an, a marriage. Yeah. So in other words, this is an asset. You know, yeah. her the fact that she's available is an asset for Rob to make a political arrangement. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, you know, it's 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 an opportunity to reward those who have been loyal to you. It's an opportunity to mm-hmm. to reward those who have lost um, as a result of the war. Um, you know, to 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 balance the the, the you know the balance sheet somewhat. Um, and it's it's an opportunity to reward those that have done particularly well or done particularly well by you um, in terms of the war that's that's taking place. No, I think I think Rob would absolutely see it as. As an opportunity, and I think I think Lady Hornwood is, you know, an asset um, in that regard. It, it, it's about the politics of the North, mm-hmm. uh, but I suppose it, it also reemphasizes the fact that, you know, it, while while Rob is able to call out his bannermen and the All March South under under him and and all is looking nice and rosy, there are still opportunities for dispute and disquiet within mm-hmm. within the realm, um, and, and that can happen over relatively minor things um but but can suddenly then break apart what might seem on the outside as being a very unified north now of course i i was just thinking like if you're in rob's position and you've just been you've just agreed to an Amer- a marriage arrangement <laughs> with a fray girl for political reasons right mm-hmm. you might think well that's what marriage you know <laughs> Man, I just had to marry this. Fr- I just had to get betrothed to this fray girl. Everyone, everyone else is going to have to do the same, right? I, th- yeah. I think that there's some there's something about that that to me feels like if you have been in a in an arranged marriage and you are king, of course you're not you're gonna expect 
your retainers to you know do the same if if it is their duty to do that right yeah and i think although of course rob doesn't in the end but um, but, but but i think and i think lady horn would recognize that herself um yeah you know, that, that line of you know if the king orders me to do it i'll do it uh, i think that's a recognition of her position and her status within that society i mean obviously she'd mm-hmm. prefer things otherwise um but 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 yes i think she recognizes the reality of things and yeah i think i think rob is absolutely good to, to treat it that way that, that that yes this is this is a way to solve another problem it doesn't really ever get to this point but you could imagine something happening this like this for caitlin i think that yeah or catlin or whatever i i, I do i do <laughs> think that rob would eventually be forced to decide you know whether or not to marry off his mother to one of these suitors because that that might be a, a political arrangement that might you know create an alliance. It, it could, yes. Although I suppose that there's less um, there's less perhaps that comes with a marriage to Catelyn, but just because of because of the way the succession has gone. So obviously her, her husband has died, but she, uh, he sure. has left sons who who are there to succeed him. Um, so there's no. I mean, she there's, no, have, there's no land to be had. Well, in she, I mean, case. in a medieval context, she would have dower lands. She would she would have lands that would be assigned to, okay. from her to live off of as part of the marriage. So, so there might still be some territory that would come with a marriage to her, uh, but there's certainly no access to the succession or anything. I suppose what you get is the potential of close mm. access to to the crown. I mean, if, if we treat uh, Rob as a king. That then you have access to the king. You're part of that extended royal family, which absolutely uh, gives you enhanced status, um, mm-hmm. and that would certainly change things. Um, but I, I'm not. I, I don't know if there's a if there's a desperate need to marry her off necessarily. I think she equally could just be uh, a widow, and I think because of the nature of things, she she would effectively be the, the queen mother, uh, mm. and would would live off her off her son really. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. 
It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. So I just got an email the other day from a listener who was asking about Tywin, like Basically, her question was, why did Tywin never remarry? Hmm. And I'm wondering if I wonder if you have any thoughts on this. Hmm. Like, surely Tywin is Mr. Political, you know, Mr. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that he, he would like, oh, I don't want to live in a loveless marriage. I think he'd be quite happy to make an arrangement if he thought it would advance his standing. Yeah. And make it make a necessary alliance, but I'm just curious what your take on that might be. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, I sub, I mean, one of the one of the possible reasons might be just that that you know that he did actually, and it's not necessarily something you would associate with Iwan, um, but but that he might actually have loved his wife, um, and and thus not really considered that. Although I suppose that I was thinking of a comparison with someone like Edward the First of England, but even he remarries. Despite his very obvious devotion to his to his first wife, um, yeah, I'm wondering if you can think of any examples analogous to this, where you've got a, a powerful lord who's basically his children are in line for the the you know his grand his grandson is king basically, yeah, yeah. Um, although that's disputed, but <laughs> um, and he just just chooses, yeah, I don't want to remarry, I don't think that I don't, I'm not. Too old, too old to do this. Hmm. Maybe. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if it is just age, um, or, or if he's if he's invested um, so much in uh, in Jamie that that you know that he doesn't necessarily yeah. see a need for anything further. You know, J- Jamie is the heir. He is the, the, the or up to a point he is. He's the heir. He's the chosen one. And then of course Jamie decides that he wants to join the um, Kingsguard. Yeah, yeah. The Kingsguard, uh, which of course changes everything, and, and that I think I think that does come as a shock to Tywin. Mean, I don't think he sees that coming uh, because he's mm-hmm. constantly kind of complaining about it um, afterwards, and, and I think that does unsettle things. Um, I mean, maybe as well just the experience of his kids, who are all just appalling. Uh, <laughs> maybe 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 that has something to do with it. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Now, of course, then you got the example of Walter Frey, who's like, oh well, yeah, he's the opposite. Isn't he? He's he's gonna continue to you know uh, sire children until they're too many, basically. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's a curious thing. Like, if he thinks Jamie. Well, I, I guess maybe he just never wants to give up on Jamie. But but yeah. even then, it's like, you know, Jamie's at war. And, yeah. you know, you might not get him back. And, of course, your other son is a disappointment, yeah. uh, whether that's earned or not. 
I think it's an odd decision not to at least to try again for Taiwan. Yeah, I, I think I think it would be unusual. I, I think that most lords would would seek to remarry. Um, although, of mm. course, I mean there are there are issues of second marriages um, because if you have children from the first marriage and children from the second marriage, then there is the obvious possibility of of, of dispute then breaking out as to who has precedence. Um, I mean, you do get examples where where the where kings and lords effectively then alter the succession, so it's only the mm. children of the second marriage who succeed, uh, or it's, <laughs> it's it's the children of the second marriage who have primacy. And of course, that that does cause all manner of issue with, funnily enough, the elder children. Um, you know, so I mean, maybe Tywin thinks that he has enough problems with the kids he's got that, that to then introduce <laughs> further examples into the mix wouldn't exactly be healthy either. Yeah, no, it, it, it's never straightforward in those situations. But but again, the medieval example I think would would normally be that, that such men would remarry, um, because yes, as you say, you never know the nature of of war and society. You never know if... if, if yeah, if it's, I think Roderick calls that out in this chapter. Yeah, he yeah. basically says, like, you don't think you're going to be Lord of Winterfell, Brand, but the, the morrow is not promised. Yeah. A couple battles could go wrong, and you, you don't know who's going to be ruling the North. Yeah. Um, Wyman Manderley is too fat to sit a horse. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice... Is this, uh, is this a big problem? <laughs> Is this a big problem in the Middle Ages? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you have the example of um, of someone like Henry VIII, I suppose, at the, at the end of things. Um, there was a there was a to do in in the UK in recent weeks uh, because because it was suggested that that Henry VIII should be classed as being disabled in his later years, and the right wing press oh. went a bit nuts about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's in a position where he's he's injured, isn't he? So he's he's then unable to be as mobile. And then kind of eats himself into into the state he becomes. But yeah, he, uh-huh. but yeah, he, he he would be a a nice comparison with with that. Um, and, and yes, these kind of things can happen, um, either through excess or or just lack of mobility. Or um, I mean, sure. you had you had the, the the example of um the French king, the earlier medieval French king, um, Louis the Fat. Um, so 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 such things could happen. I think uh, Taft had the on the American side. Taft had that same problem. Really? Yeah, yeah. There, there was a uh, you know fa- famous stories about <laughs> this poor guy. So yeah, no, that that's interesting. So you think that there's maybe a little nod or a wink here to Henry the Eighth? Possibly, yes. I think it, it, certainly. Well, that that was the first example that came to mind when I when I heard it. So Bran hears about this troop called the Wild Hares, and oh, yeah. uh, they're you know they're all in their teens really, and they're keen to go to war, mm. and they've called themselves the Wild Hares, and they tie you know rabbit pelts to their lances, and they're sort of marauding around and singing songs about you know future chivalric her- heroism or something like that. Mm. And this this really attracts Bran. Bran yeah. Bran thinks, ah, oh, that's the life for me. I, <laughs> he kind of he kind of longs to. Uh, he, he has a different view of these folks than uh, you know Roderick uh, does. Uh, he he Roderick has no use for boys playing at war. <laughs> uh, but this is exactly what Bran wants to do. He yeah. he wants he wants a childhood. Uh, that he it's kind of been stolen from him, mm. and and what that looks like to him is to you know to j- joust at dummies and whatnot. Yeah, I, I saw that when I was reading that. 
I thought that there was rather more, he was rather more alike to Sansa then at that point, just because yes. he's obviously been influenced as well by the chivalric tales, which is, is, is Sansa's kind of constant in those early years. Um, that, you know, and then she starts to discover that, that reality is very much not like the romances she's been reading or she's been hearing. But but Bran is, is almost the same. He has that very positive outlook on, on nightly things uh, and as do these young guys. Um, but it, it's that kind of that nightly youth, isn't it? These 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 guys are, are are raised from a young age to to be trained in the art of war, to be trained in how to mm. be a knight, how to ride, how to how to ride as part of a group, uh, how to handle arms and to fight. And and when you're raised in that context, when you're surrounded by that milieu, um, and you're trained to do that, then of course what you want then is the opportunity to test yourself. You want to show to your fellows your bravery and your ability and 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 when war is actually being fought um you know there is then that potential for frustration that you're not part of it you're not there um, and that can right. that can have negative effects because because yeah you, you end up in the situation and that's obviously what sir roderick's kind of worried about lincoln had this problem with uh, his sons really you know some of his sons died tragically young and then both he and Mary Todd were grieving uh, the loss of those sons and were very reluctant to send their other sons to war, you know, during the Civil War. Mm. Um, Edward, in particular, had this notion that if he did not fight, it would have affected his lifelong legacy. He'd, he'd be known as the guy who was a coward or the yeah. guy who's father was the president and didn't allow him to show his wartime bravery. Mm. His view was that the entire generation, the entire post-war generation would be defined by what they did during the Civil War. And he knew that his own life would be measured as such. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I, I was reminded of those in Britain, you know, the, the ones who were too young to take part in the First World War. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and so felt that they'd missed out. I mean, despite everything that we know now about the Fossil War, um, uh, but who then went off to fight in like the Spanish Civil War because it was the first, their first opportunity to to take mm. part in a European conflict. Um, uh, because 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 they felt they'd missed out. And, and yeah, I think again that there is that element, and and it it does it does lead to negative things at times. You know young knights involved in war and particularly in battles and things that they're all sometimes written about as being too keen to be at the enemy that they're too keen right. to 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 demonstrate their skill their prowess their bravery it's it's not and so you end up with them doing stupid things or they they ride off out of formation and things because of their, their over enthusiasm um and that has to be kept in check there has to be a, a decent amount of discipline but even even the best commanders struggle at times. I, I was talking to my fourth years last week about the, the Battle of Cressy uh, in the Hundred Years' War in 1346, uh, and Philip VI of France has a, a serious problem corralling his, his young knights into doing what they're told, and, and, and the French end up fighting that battle in part because because there's a there's a section of the French knighthood who are so desperate to be at the English that they ignore orders and 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 stumble, oh, into, stumble into fighting a battle that the French aren't actually prepared to fight. So yeah, so they're not showing the necessary caution, or they're they're not 
I guess just not following orders is a problem, right? Yeah, no, I know. think it's just it's that that youthful enthusiasm, but but also yeah, just naivety, I suppose. Um, and and again, abandoning the, the kind of greater good for for their own personal gain. And I think that's again that's the type of thing that that Roderick's kind of frowning on is is that they don't they don't know what they're doing. They have these idealistic notions of of, of what it is to fight, what it is to be part of a nightly group. Um, but the but yeah, as you said, that they're playing at it, um, and if they actually were in the thick of it, it would be a very different experience. Right now, with Brand now, now okay, so the North kind of has a problem in this way because you can't send all of your knights down south, hmm. and one of the reasons you can't do this is because of the Dreadfort, and we hear for the very first time that Roose Bolton has a bastard. Hmm who uh, up until a couple years ago wasn't even living at the Dreadfort, but he seems to have amassed a small army at the Dreadfort. Mm. And Lady Hornwood sends him a note saying, what you know? What are your intentions? And so there's some question about, like, what... And there's a historical problem between, you know, the Boltons and the Starks, and so you can't send everyone down south because what if one of the houses rebels up north. Hmm. And you've got this example with, uh, you know, Ramsey Snow, who is acting in very strange ways hmm. up, up north, and you you might have to deal with someone like that. Uh, absolutely. And I think it is that case of, you know, when the when the Lord's away or, you know, again, when the King's away, that then, yes, all manner of things might happen when their back's turned. And, yes, as you said, especially... If the lords and the troops have gone with them, then 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 yes, what's left behind is difficult, and that's that that situation that that Lewin and Roderick find themselves in because they're mm. the ones that are effectively in charge. Um, you know, Bran is there as as that representative of the Starks, but it but it's them that are doing the the politicking essentially, and, and then passing everything on to Rob. But but they're the ones that are having to keep the ship afloat, and and I, yeah, I think. That that first that is the first mention of Ramsey, isn't it? That that mention of him, you know. It, I it, think so. It, yeah. it, it is foreshadowing, isn't it, in terms of what the, the problems that we're going to face? But, well, but, not yeah, only that. Oh, go go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I was just going to say, but I mean that 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 kind of problem is is absolutely one that that would have happened again in a in a medieval context. That as soon as mm-hmm. as soon as there are lands potentially available on your doorstep any self-achieving lord will want to will want to extend their influence into them if there's a chance of doing so so not only do we hear of uh you know the bolton bastard for the first time but we hear the name reek for the first time in this chapter (laughs) this you know ramsey snow seems to have this he's got a man in a service who doesn't bathe and you kind of see like eventually this is what's going to happen with theon Mm. And uh, and he'll just sort of rename Theon the the, the name of this 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 first guy. Mm. Um, I I had forgotten that 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 name Reek was was first given to some other guy. No, and it's quite innocuous as well, isn't it? I, again, it is very much that foregrounding what's to come. Um, but but at the point at which it's discussed here, it's quite inconsequential because you know you're getting so many names chucked at you of all these various individuals yeah. and families. It's just another one of them at, at this point. Uh, in, in other introductions in this chapter, we meet Wyman Manerly in the flesh uh, for the first time. And we meet someone named Poxy Tim. <laughs> P- 
poor, poor, poor Tim. Uh, uh, Lady Hornwood, of course. Uh, the name Reek, we hear that for the first time. Lady Donella, Baron Tallwood, Moors, and Hother Umber. Uh, we we don't. Brand wonders why Hother Tumber is named Horsebane, <laughs> but uh, he you know <laughs> he's he's not told why that is the case. No. Um, Leobald, uh, Tallheart, and uh, we hear the word hedge wizard for the first time. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, th- I think Hedge Witch we might have met before, but now we've met Hedge Wizard. Mm. And I, this is a, a kind of a a nod to this tradition of, you know, someone who's sort of out in the wilderness dabbling with the supernatural, mm. probably using, you know, herbal remedies and whatnot. Um, and in general, I think that these people were viewed with suspicion by almost everyone. Hmm. Um, Is there, now, of course, we were talking about Lincoln earlier, you know, Mary Todd goes to a spiritualist at one point because she wants to, you know, have a seance to talk to her dead son. Uh, I wonder if there's any, any similar stories like that. Nobility going to these, I don't know, wilderness folk to, to use magic for some, you know, conjuring or something like that. Um, I'm kind of struggling to think of an example, to be honest. I mean, I, I suppose that such things would be would be kind of frowned upon, wouldn't they? Uh, and certainly, as, as so, the, as, you're as, saying that this is really an American problem. Well, no, 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 but it, it, it's not. It's not necessarily. A, well, I was going to say it's not necessarily a medieval problem. It, you know, it, it is, but but I, I suppose it's not necessarily seen as a problem uh-huh. necessarily, or become one in the early modern period. I suppose it, I, I was just assuming it wouldn't necessarily be something that. That nobles would be would be dabbling in it's 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 the type of thing that's more often associated with with those further mm-hmm. down the, the social scale. Um, now there is I, this story in in the in ancient Israel where the king goes to this um, witch in a place called Endor, <laughs> uh, not necessarily the uh, the the moon of Endor, but the the, re- <laughs> the region of Endor, and and conjures up the soul of a of a dead prophet. Wow. So I mean I think that there, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of history for people in the wilderness that are in I guess you would say sort of in Celtic terms and in, in, in mm. a thin space who are able to you know do something that seems like it's a little bit beyond natural medicine mm. things like that. Yeah, I suppose it's once you're into Christian times, it's another thing that's kind of co-opted by the church, isn't it? You have you have yeah. your 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 very religious hermits instead who are who are the kind of wild men out in the out in the middle of nowhere That's but, a but good they're, call. they're being they're being supremely pious in in so doing they're not they're not in any way dodgy <laughs> yeah they've retreated from society society to sort of live in a more sacred way yeah yeah. But but functioning in much the same way I think I'm thinking in terms of like um this wouldn't necessarily be a, a in the same category but the anchorites were thought to be holy mm. people, mm. right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I I don't know if if I need to explain this, but the, <laughs> there was a period <laughs> where where someone would choose to be walled in adjacent to like a chapel or a church or you know something like this, and they would just live inside of a of a small cramped space, kind of like a hermitage, but almost choosing to like 
live in a prison of their own making mm. because there was some sort of ascetic holiness that was attached to this. Yeah. People would bring them food and then they'd pass out their excrement and then some people would go to them for advice because, of course, they must be really holy. Yeah. They're living inside of the wall of a church. Yeah, it's that kind of extreme asceticism uh, element of, of medieval Catholicism, isn't it? Um, yes. I, I, but, but, but that... I mean, I think I think the church has problems with that at times as well, doesn't it? Because because it also then leads to various examples growing up who of people who are either a bit too near the borderline for the church's liking, or, or who become too mm-hmm. popular, um, and 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 the church doesn't like that either because you mm-hmm. know you don't want you don't necessarily want one holy person dominating or, or that is a kind of go to person for people because that's that in itself can be dangerous in the long term. Yeah, yeah, the the long term tension between the priest and the prophet, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah. one 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 person has the the job to sort of defend the institution; the other one wants to burn the whole institution down. <laughs> yes, and and that 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 dangerous line between orthodoxy and not is a very difficult one. I mean, even someone like Saint Francis struggles at times. And the judge the judge has a hard time dealing with Francis for half his life. So. <laughs> <laughs> Now, th- there are various ways that are described in these books on Brand dealing with his uh, her his paralysis, mm. and we've got a couple of these. Like for instance, we've got this you know this uh, saddle that Tyrion designed, and he's able in this chapter to ride using that saddle. We also see the image of him sitting in a basket. And, yeah. and being strapped to Hordor's back, right? Yeah. And then, of course, later in the show, he's got a full-on, you know, wheelchair, um, mm. which I'm not sure has a precedent. But I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the methods uh, that would be used for, uh, you know, nobility in brand circumstance. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the, the kind of um... The saddle, I think, would would be would be practical. Yes, um, you know, in terms of having something that kind of straps you in. Um, I, I think that you know, being carried about by horror is an opportunity to introduce us to horror, uh, and, and that's that's part of that narrative that will tie mm-hmm. the two together over the longer term. I think yeah. most most laws and things would have been carried around in a litter, um, and I think that would be the natural way to if you are disabled in any way. Uh, that would be the way that would be done. And we, we, you know, you yeah, do if you don't have a, a seven-foot, simple-minded no, stable boy hanging around, well, no, maybe but, a litter's but, better option. Well, yeah, and, and beyond that, just being carried around in a basket on on his back just seems a bit, you know, unbecoming, doesn't it? <laughs> Whereas, <laughs> well, and know, it's a problem too because he's, you know, hoarder every now and again smells bread, yes, and runs through the castle, and Brand gets conked on the head (laughs) (laughs) it's not particularly practical though um (laughs) so no i I think i think you would have you know you have examples like like robert the bruce uh, when he's he's ill rather than um disabled necessarily but but also someone like bob the fourth of jerusalem who has leprosy uh, and during his periods of of illness yeah they they would be carried around in, in litters when they were when they were active um, although they could still ride a horse as well, but being kept in the saddle, I think, would have been would have sure. been difficult. But so, so yeah, so having something like that that would keep them in the saddle, I think, is is quite practical. Now, would the litter be carried by you know men like like you'd see like, like with Egyptian litters, or would it be like 
on wheels or would it be uh you know between horses how how would that have been done hmm. um i mean i i was assuming it, well I, I suppose yeah that you could have it you know on uh, in terms of a of a cart so it would be wheeled or a form like that to make it to make it sure. more mobile uh but yeah the alternative is that it would be carried by men but yeah that would be uh that would be quite the effort um but but yeah, I suppose it's it's I suppose it's the practicalities of it, isn't it? The the kind of Egyptian comparison is is more something for status, isn't it? it it's it's demonstrating the I think one, so, yeah. The, yeah, rather than the practicalities. So so yes, perhaps something more cart based would be if, if mm. it was just to get around. And I suppose that's what I was thinking of. Um, yeah. Was there anything else about this chapter that you noted that you thought was interesting? Yeah, I, I think uh, the. The discussion of Bran as well, just in terms of, uh, again, we've touched on the young lords and their ideas of chivalry. Uh, but I thought it, it was interesting to see Bran kind of thinking about those things, um, whether it was, you know, he'd like to be jousting in the yard or whether, mm-hmm. you know, he would like to be at war as well. Uh, that bit where he, he perks up listening to the possibility of uh, building warships. Yeah. And, yeah. and he thinks of himself of, you know, in quite practical terms of, you know, he might be a cripple, but actually, you know, he could, he, he could, you know, sit on a warship and, and help command things, that would work quite well for him because it's a stable platform. That's so, right. It wouldn't matter that he was crippled. Um, so, yeah, that, that I thought was quite interesting that he himself was seeing a role for himself or a potential role for himself because a lot of it is quite, you know, his brand being understandably depressed about his situation um, and, and, and not knowing that he won't be able to do these things. Uh, and that was just quite interesting because the counter is always, that you know, he, he sees that, pity in others or that revulsion in others whether that's actually there or not or whether that's in his own head but yeah but, but on the on the other side of it you know he he is still potentially seeing a role for himself uh, which i think is is you know is quite positive well you do get this um this line in this particular chapter where bran he can't help himself he really wants to see the the boys tilt and so he goes to the yard knowing that people are going to stare at him. You know, he's mm. in the basket, he's on Hodor's back and he's he's almost used to it. He's like mm. I, if I'm just I'm just going to have to live through these stares because if I if I don't, I'll never see anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so uh he just decides he's he's going to tolerate the stares. Um and of course, I think, you know, these Walder boys know that they can't really make fun of Bran, I think that that would be sort of a maybe a little bit too much. Yes, uh, you don't make fun of a prince, but what you can do <laughs> is you can make fun of the the simple minded boy who's carrying the prince. Mm. And I think that almost in 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 some ways, I think Hodor is something of a proxy for yeah. them making fun of Bran. And I think that's that's why Lewin gets particularly angry because I think he knows exactly what the phrase are doing. Yes, but but he also you know understands that that Brand just can't lose it at, at the phrase either. Um, that that he has to he has to show some some control and uh, and what have you. So so yeah, but the phrase rather behaving as you would expect the phrase to behave. I think. <laughs> yeah, and then I noted at the end of the chapter that you know when he hears. Of Stannis's letter, when he hears the you know that there's been an accusation that Joffrey's true father is Jamie, mm. this jogs something for Bran, even if he doesn't quite have it in his conscious life. 
Mm. He does have a dream of a golden man in the sky pushing him into the air. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and in fact, I think we have a repeat of the line, the things I do for love at the yeah, end of this yeah. chapter. Yeah. His, his repressed memory, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, notable differences in this chapter. I noted that, uh, well, a lot of this chapter is not in the show at all, but <laughs> yeah. um, I did note that there was this scene in the show where Hodor is bathing in the God's Wood. And Hodor comes out, you know, he comes out naked, and Asha notices Hodor's uh, manhood and comments. Right. Um, whereas in this chapter, it's it's Bran noticing Asha bathing in the God's Wood. Yeah, and I think that... I, maybe there was a conscious uh, decision to make that to make that change in the show. Yeah, uh, c- considering considering the various things said about about Game of Thrones, that's that's an, well. I was going to say an unusual change, but um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting they've decided to make that change. Mm-hmm, um, yeah, I I think as well that you've got that scene where one of the northern lords is is standing in front of uh, of Bran and Lewin. It's just Lewin is there as the, as the supporting role, um, complaining about the fact that he's got no help to help him repair his castle um, because yes. all of his all of his men are off fighting for Rob. God's forbid it rains. Why, I might as well sleep beneath a waterfall. Maintenance of a holdfast generally falls to the lord of that holdfast. Generally, yes. But I've sent all the young men off to fight Rob Stark's war. King Rob. It is not his war. He didn't choose it. Maybe not, my lord. But he called in his banners and took the men. Joffrey killed my father, your liege lord. Do you remember your vows, sir? Of course I remember. We can spare four masons for a week, my lord. Will that be sufficient to repair your walls? I I believe it will. We didn't want him here all day, did we? Yeah, that is kind of like an homage to this chapter. At least it's a little bit of a... It's a reduction of, of... the feeling that you get from this chapter. Yeah. Well, I think Bran was a bit more active in the TV show. You know, he's, he actually speaks his mind and mm-hmm. reminds the Lord that, you know, that it's, it's his King. Um, and that's what he's supposed to do. Um, so I, I, I thought that was, that was giving Bran a bit more agency than the books gave him. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably right. And it's probably a good idea. I mean, even if it's not necessarily because Bran does speak up, even if it's just a matter of courtesy, he does decide to speak up in this chapter in a moment where they weren't expecting him to sort of yeah. rise to the occasion. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Notable departures. A lot, lot of coming and going between the, the, the lords in this chapter. Uh, I, I won't name all of the lords that, that came and went. <laughs> you, you Winterfell really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Winterfell really does feel like... Uh, a hub of activity in this chapter. Uh, I think it also it also just reflects the complexity of these territories because we're we're used to you know hearing talk of the North, uh, and obviously Rob is there with his army that's representative of it. But mm. but it's only when you see all these individual families with all their different representatives and all their competing you know demands and desires and, and, and it really does give you a a much 
clearer insight into what lordship and indeed kingship over that territory actually was like or, or you know it's supposed to be like that it's it's not straightforward it's not some homogenous unified entity it is a mass of competing claims and all the rest of it that that the lords of such have to have to steer a path through and obviously ned mm -hmm was able to do that before, but now you're into this situation where there's a new young lord in place. Not only that, he's now just gone off and gone to war and everything is up in the air. It's 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 a time of well, it's a deeply yeah. unsettled time. And just to put a button on our conversation about Lady Hornwood, I think that the fact that the king is now one of us, hmm. that there's something about like, okay, if Lady Hornwood's situation needs to be arranged from some southern lord that we've never met, mm. then maybe there's less of a gravitational pull to Winterfell. Mm. But because the king is now in the north, you mm. know, it's it's Rob as king, it's almost empowered some of these other lords to kind of view their station differently. You know, maybe they can advance more than they thought that they could before if Rob is king rather than Robert. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, I suppose the Northerners are always a bit of a funny lot, aren't they? So, I mean, they they <laughs> uh, they, they probably look at Ned as being a kind of quasi king anyway. I think they probably That's have a similar, true. they have a similar, they have a much closer relationship to Ned than they would have to to Robert. Um, yeah. So, so I suppose in that in that extent, things maybe haven't changed as much. But no, you're, you're absolutely right. I think um, you know that change in status of Rob and of the Starks does then have the potential for a knock-on effect on, on his lords. Uh, and and it may well actually, yes, increase the competition between them. Um, and again, especially with a new lord, because because all those relationships that, that existed between the lords, uh, between the, well, yeah, sorry, between the lords and his retainers, so between Ned and his retainers, yeah. that's now changed because there's a new lord in place who is now a king. And a now. younger lord, right? Uh, absolutely. So he, he yeah. may well... He may well look to younger men himself, and actually, those older representatives of those families need to now make new relationships with Rob. So mm. that that's all been thrown up in the air as well. So yeah, it, it is a it is a very unsettled time potentially, um, hmm. and, and hmm. we're kind of seeing that playing out back home while everybody else is elsewhere. And now, Throwback Thursday with comic Steve Osborne. <laughs> the the feeling in the stark family is the same as like the the game of thrones message boards like they got ricken and john's oh. like who yeah oh, john's oh ricken he's the one they can't walk no 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 <laughs> that's bran that ricken's uh -huh. the one that likes uh, the walnuts um not ringing a bell <laughs> no no he's the other brother other brother of who of, of me was there another bastard? No, he's the youngest Stark. Mm, no, not ringing a bell. You almost have that moment when Sun, when Sun, or when Arya is getting smacked around about how many uh, brothers she has. <laughs> <laughs> it was that she forgot Rick. That's right. That's right. She lies. She lies about the number of brothers, and it was just an honest mistake. She just forgot Rickon. Yeah, everyone else is like, no, no, no. Do you have another one? I don't think so. Smacks her again. No, I don't. The walnut kid. Mm -mm. No, I'm pretty sure he's a great joy.
For this week's Bird's Eye View, I'd like to read an email that I got from Rodri. Roger responds to a conversation I was having with Arthur, and I was relaying to Arthur something that I learned on a tour in York. Uh, using a bow, you could shoot a Scotsman with an arrow from the wall of York, and this would be perfectly legal. And, of course, I, I, I doubted myself as soon as I said it out loud, thinking, that sounds foolish. Anyway, I got this email from Rodri. Uh, confirming that it is true. He says, Hi, Anthony. Hope you're well. Reading a chapter from Game of Thrones Clash of Kings before listening to your podcast is always the highlight of my week. I particularly enjoyed the most recent episode. It is always fun when Arthur is on, and what a fantastic chapter. I agree with you on all points, Rodri. Rodri continues, You're right about the Scottish law in York. As a Welshman, we are taught in school about the law making it legal to shoot a Welsh person with a longbow in the English town of Chester after midnight. There are so many silly laws here which have never been repealed. I particularly like the one that says if a dead whale is found on the British coast, its head is automatic <laughs> its head automatically becomes property of the king and the tail becomes property of the queen. <laughs> I'm looking forward to when cocoons of horror returns too. Uh, thank you, Rodri, for that email. I absolutely appreciate it. And I ought to mention that if you are a Cocoons of Horror fan, my other podcast, uh, Steve and I will be covering Severance sometime soon. So do a search for that. If you want to send me an email, book at baldmove.com. And that is all for this week.